0: Good day to you, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Harold Sanjin by Patricia Sanjin with permission of ten of those publishing companies. And I'm reading this to you on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you'll be getting it on Christmas Eve, Lord willing, I hope you will. Uh, but we are reading Chapter 9, The Traveler. Wherever God walks, he always leaves a blessing. How many of us sometimes leave nothing? Some leave a curse or a blithe, but every time, speaking with reverence, God goes out walking, he leaves a blessing. As a traveling Bible teacher, Mr. Sandon spent about 40 years of his life, mostly in travel, and his ministry extended to North and South America, the West Indies, Europe, North and South Africa, Palestine, Australia, and New Zealand. And wherever he went, men, women, and children bore witness that, like his master, he too had left a blessing. His influence on people was very great indeed, wrote one who often ministered with him. In my travels I have met many men who are now leaders among God's people, whose lives were touched by him at a crucial time. I have talked of him with such men as Walter Monroe of New York and Don Parker of the same city both spiritual leaders, and both of them affected by contact with him when he used to visit the USA regularly in the 1920s. I found H.C. Hewlett of Palmerston, North, New Zealand, to be another whose life was touched and profoundly influenced by Mr. Sanjin when he first visited New Zealand in 1934 and again in 1937. He told me that such ministry had never been heard in New Zealand and people flocked from every side to hear him. Whenever he spoke, the building would be crowded to capacity, people traveling for many miles to attend meetings. What he did for the young men of those assemblies was to give them standards they had not known before, and which many of them sought to attain in their personal ministry. Wherever I have traveled, in England or USA, said another, I have heard Mr. Sanchin's ministry spoken of with deep appreciation. He was loved everywhere, not only for his teaching, but for the charm of his Christian character. Yet at first sight there was nothing particularly striking or impressive about the traveler who set off across oceans and continents, carrying a small shabby bag in each hand, containing the minimum of clothing and the maximum of books, a Bible or a commentary bulging from his pocket. He never could take his belongings very seriously apart from books, but was frequently leaving them behind until in desperation he gave up wearing a hat altogether his wife would write many letters in her attempts to track his belongings and was usually successful her children remembering her merriment when hoping to retrieve an almost new pair of trousers she received a letter from the stage which stated dear bro pants to hand he would board the train at Marville with his hair on end after the hugs of five lamenting children and would go off waving an umbrella, which he inevitably lost within the first few days of his journey. He seldom indicated the exact time he would arrive anywhere, for he did not, could not bear anyone to take the trouble to meet him at the station, and although he tried to warn his family of the hour of his return, he occasionally raced his own letters. There's a memory of him walking up to the Marville station after nine months' absence and meeting his son in a prom. "'which looked vaguely familiar. "'He hovered doubtfully for a minute or two "'and then addressed the girl in charge. "'Excuse me, but is this by any chance my baby?' "'The girl, who was new and nervous, replied, "'I'm sure I couldn't say, sir.' "'Yet there were some who traveled with him "'who looked twice. "'It may have been the obvious happiness of the man "'or the old-fashioned courtesy "'with which he would stand aside "'and leap to his feet to offer his seat to a lady.' Whatever it was, those who took time to observe him were strangely drawn to him, sometimes without knowing why. Who was your friend walking down the street with you? asked a young doctor in Belfast of one of his medical colleagues. He he had the face of a saint. May I presume to ask, speak to you without introduction on the basis that we're both British people in a foreign country? Asked an English lady, stay, staying in the same hotel in Rome. Certainly, ma'am, he replied. To ask you a personal question, she said, Will you please tell me the secret of your serenity for two days? I have been watching you, and I can see that you live in a different world from mine. This led to a conversation that ended in the lady accepting his Lord as her savior. And to those who loved the Lord, he was easily recognizable as a fellow-lover. He often told how he was traveling in the underground when Mr. Herbert Verner of the Japan Evangelistic Man, a man with whom with that same luminous quality of radiance boarded a carriage in a little further down the train the men had never met but they noticed each other instantly and finally managed to get close to each other drawn by some mysterious bond of common love i believe you know a friend of mine said mr sandin simply and in a moment they were rejoicing more than ever when they disclosed their identities and mr verner drew a little notebook out of his pocket and showed the names of mr sandgate's five children written inside your wife put me up when i was speaking in the marville kiswick convention he said i grew very fond of those five little children i have prayed for them each by name every day since and i have always longed to meet their father so the underground roared on its way with a corner of that noisy carriage was the second road to Emmaus, where the hearts of two Christ-lovers burned within them, as he drew near and went with them. One cannot help wondering whether Mr. Santon at least remembered to alight at his destination. To him, no journey was merely a means of getting one place to another, but a fresh opportunity of speaking of Christ. Never indiscriminate or aggressive, he had a rare gift of getting into a conversation with his fellow travelers on board ship often through a game of chess, and people would unburden themselves to this man who seemed so at leisure from himself and so sincere in his sympathy. He would listen quietly, waiting that a touch of the spirit on the conversation that showed that the moment was ripe to speak of spiritual things. Amused his hearers may have have sometimes been, but never offended or put off and many a soul found peace in the ship's saloon, in a railroad carriage, or by the wet roadside. Any place to him was a sanctuary, and to a lady who once objected that if they knelt to pray in a hotel lounge, people might come in, he replied that it did not matter, because as soon as anybody realized that they were praying, they would go out, which they certainly did. His own accounts of some of the conversations are interesting. I was standing by the side of the road not long ago with two heavy bags. There were no buses, and I was about a mile and a half from the conference, which I wished to attend. So I asked the Lord about the matter and told him my position, and just as I was telling him, a man drew up and said, Excuse me, can you tell me where such and such place is? I said, It's three miles up the road. He looked at me and said, Can I give you a lift? Thank you, I said. And after I'd been in the car a few minutes, I said, Do you know what I thought of as I got into this car? It's a word in the old book that says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ do you know anything about that he stopped the car swung around on me and almost fiercely why did you say that word out of the bible to me the last time i was in church 16 years ago the minister preached on that text and i've never darkened the door of that church since well i said what's wrong with that scripture oh he said he read the beginning of some chapter Bear ye one another's burdens And then he read almost the very next verse, Every man shall bear his own burden. And I asked the clergyman what he meant by those verses, and he said he didn't know. Very well, I said, we'll look it up for a moment. For there were two words for burden. The first in the verse, Bear ye one another's burdens means a load under which a man is staggering. It is a simple exhortation to kindness to do as Christ did. In the next verse, the word burden is a nautical word, the word sailors use. It's used of the cargo of a ship. Now a ship's captain never wants anyone else to carry his cargo, for he would lose all his profit. And that means that everyone must carry his own burden of responsibility. Is that really right, he said? Yes, I answered. And doesn't that look as though the book is not as stupid as you thought? Now just drive up to that place where I'm going and we'll sit down in a quiet corner and we'll go over these 16 wasted years. And I'll tell you what the Lord Jesus has done for me and what he can do for you. So there we sat for nearly an hour in the side road, and I preached to him, Jesus, and I I give you that illustration to show you that you meet the strangest, most out-of-the-way people, and thousands of them, literally thousands already, if we will only preach to them of the wisdom of Christ. It is extraordinary to see how grateful people are that sometimes takes an interest in a stranger's soul. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for the sake of the people around who are dying without Christ. We know we're out of the desert. We, they don't. We have the key to the dungeon. They haven't. So, for our own sakes, for their sakes, and for his sakes, let us say so. It has been borne upon me, he said on another occasion, in hundreds of recent contacts with men and women in this world, that there's a tremendous eager inquiry in the hearts of countless men and women behind barriers of reserve. Sometimes behind barriers of blasphemy There's a profound hunger For a certainty in heavenly things Some time ago in Gloucestershire I met a woman wheeling a bicycle Piled high with Sunday papers And as she was at the bottom of the hill I offered to wheel it for her She said, thank you, I'm going downhill Along a turning I hadn't noticed I handed her a gospel Booklet and she lingered for a moment or two Looking steadily at me And with a voice and manner quite different What I expected She said to me i wonder if you could spare a corner in your prayers for the seller of sunday papers i said of course i could and i will but tell me about yourself why are you doing this she said i suppose you're going to the little hall in the village to preach today yes i said well she said i used to go there and i played the harmonica and it was and very happy but I was poor, and someone told me that there was a big profit to me made Sunday newspapers, so I took on the work, and I've made a great deal of money and never known a day of happiness since I started. As she mounted her bicycle, she looked back and said, I wish you'd find a corner in your prayers for a seller of Sunday newspapers. He could not bear any slight or carelessness in connection with the name he loved. When he was traveling in a bus in Scotland, a fellow passenger broke into a blasphemous talk. Mr. Sanjan went up to him at once and, with real sorrow, yet without anger, told him he had spoken evil of his best friend. The man was completely broken down by this approach and made a sincere apology before leaving the bus. On another occasion he was standing in the private chapel of Kimball College, Oxford, lost in contemplation of Holman Hunt's masterpiece, The Light of the World. A chattering piece of tourist approached and the guide announced in a strident voice, The original of this picture was sold for 5,000 pounds. Without a moment's hesitation, Mr. Sanderson stepped forward. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, may I add that the true original of this picture was sold for 30 pieces of silver. A hush fell on the crowd, and they left the chapel in silence. Another friend remembers him standing in a bus line followed by a family. When the bus arrived, there was room for everyone except the father. The conductor tried to prevent the man from boarding the bus, stating that standing was forbidden. The man maintained that his wife and children were aboard and therefore he would not dismount. The conductor called the driver and a heated argument ensued. Both declared that the bus would not start until the man had gotten off. In silent anger silence that followed, Mr. Stanton rose to his feet and addressed the official and passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, he said in his courteous manner, it looks as though we shall all be late home the conductor's perfectly right for he hes supposing in his own by-laws that the passenger also right for his supporting an older law of humanity which forbids separating a man from his family i can see no way out except for me to give up my seat to the gentleman and then alight and wait for the next bus then everyone will be satisfied and you will all get home but before i get off may i add one thing this is exactly what my blessed Lord the Lord Jesus has done for me. He has given me his place in light and salvation, and on the cross he took my place as a sinner in dark in death and darkness. As he swung off the bus, mister Santin heard the conductor saying Ain't he a rum bloke? Yes, <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what that means, but <laughs> perhaps another reason why he felt so at home with all ages and creeds and classes in so many parts of the world was his willingness to give and take, never despising anyone. There are two men who taught me more things of a God as a young man than any others, he once said. One was a miner who probably earned a very low wage, and the other was a peer of the realm. I used to sit with each of these an hour after hour. A friend recalls an incident when, during his travels, he visited a house where one of the kings of, the, of Europe was a guest and Mr. Sanjan, completely at ease, led the conversation round the spiritual matters, and in the end, the king accepted a Bible. He would stand and teach a king, equally at ease, and he would sit in dust and learn from a savage. He himself gave the following account of a meeting in the wilds of Somaliland. I was sitting once in Somaliland in a post office. You must not imagine a magnificent building like that in Wellington. It was a small, tin shack, "'with a floor inches deep in dust "'and a little wooden box "'with a lot of dusty letters in it. "'Well, I managed to get the use "'of one of those post offices "'for a Bible reading, "'and we had seven or eight fine Somalians there. "'I won't say anything about their clothing, "'but one man was wearing a leper skin. "'He'd been named two and a half pence. "'He didn't know what it meant, "'so it didn't really matter, "'and during the meeting I looked across at him "'and said without a smile, Dear Brother Two-and-a-half-pence, have you any thought as to why the Scripture tells us that the soldier plunged his lance into the Savior's side and there came out blood and water? And that untutored savage, who had only known his Savior for a short time, emerged from the most degraded heathendom, gave an answer that could never have been bettered by any theological college in the kingdom. He said, My white brother, I suppose it was that all the world might see that by the death of the Savior, a highway has been opened right up to the heart of God. We're going to stop reading right there and have that's going to be part one of chapter nine, and we'll be reading part two uh, in the next couple of days. And we probably won't be uh, have a reading on Christmas Day. I hope that everybody enjoys their Christmas Day and um, that you are with your family and but most of all, that we remember the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth as a man and uh, for a beautiful reason of going to the cross and, and taking our sins upon himself and and paying the debt that we could not pay. And what a precious gift that is to us. And may we, as Mr. Sanjen, use every opportunity to share the gospel with those that we come in t- contact with today and tomorrow and each day of our lives. It is the gift that we can give that God has given to us. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his grace. And the Lord uh, let his countenance shine upon you and give you his peace. Shalom, my brothers. God's peace to you. I love you. I'm praying for you and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.